You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. has made choice after choice as we went through the book of Judges. We see his choice of persons to rise up. One thing all these men and women, by the way, remember there were several women in here, all these men and women have common. What was it? They were available. They were available. When God called, they answered the call of God. When God called them, they answered the call of God. They didn't say, wait a minute, I got some things to do. God's sovereign in whom he chooses, but availability is key on the part of the called. As a believer, you have a part in the body of Christ, as Pastor Dave teaches today. If you have to make excuses when God calls you to a certain role, have you thought about how this will affect those in the body that could benefit from your service? Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of Judges chapter 12 as he continues his message, Careful to Whom You Complain. You are But in chapter 8, our buddy Gideon dealt differently than Jephthah does. Because Gideon is very diplomatic. And remember that talk he had with them, how he basically soothed the waters and calmed the, the storm by talking to them and explaining to them very diplomatically about things. And Ephraim was basically put in their place. Well, in chapter 12, it happens all over again. But this time against Jephthah. The Ephraimites come to Jephthah on the heels of his great victory over the Ammonites, and they complain about their lack of involvement in the battle. Look at verse 1. Then the men of Ephraim gathered together, crossed over towards Zephon, and said to Jephthah, Why did you cross over to fight against the people of Ammon and did not call us to go with you? We will burn your house down on you with fire. Nice guys. So these guys come over the Jordan. They come up to Jephthah. They not only wanted him fired as judge, but they wanted to burn his house down on top of him. I don't know why. Sometimes I stand up here and things come. It's like, wait a minute. I I get the feeling that Jephthah's sitting there like Rodney Dangerfield. You know, no respect. Hey, I'm the judge of Israel. I get no respect. Come on. They don't respect them. But, th- but this is the MO, modus operandi of a complainer. The complainer has no respect for anybody, but they have an answer for everything. But they don't want to get involved. And usually the complainer is usually a bigger problem than the problem itself, but he blames everybody, but he blames the leader the most. This is what we see happening. They're complaining. Let's look at verses 2 and 3 as we move on. And Jephthah said to them, My people and I were in a great struggle with the people of Ammon. And when I called you, you did not deliver me out of their hands 
So when I saw that you would not deliver me, I took my life into my hands and crossed over against the people of Ammon, and the Lord delivered them into my hand. Why then have you come up to me this day to fight against me? Jephthah does explain that he called them for help. Hey, I called you guys. Where were you? You didn't come to help. Once again, they refused. Again, a common trait of the complainer. See, it's much easier to complain, to discredit, and be a backseat quarterback than it is to come alongside the leadership and say, hey, what can I do? What was that old saying? You're not part of the solution. You're part of the problem. You know, what can I do? How can I help? Instead of sitting back and sitting back there and going, hmm, you did this wrong. It's the same thing. The complainer usually has an ulterior motive. And in this instance, the ulterior motive was, hey, they wanted to be in charge. Ephraim wanted to be in charge. But Jephthah takes a whole different approach than Gideon does. The Ephraimites may have gotten away with this kind of stuff with Gideon because he was very diplomatic. He was mild-mannered. But what do we know about Jephthah? Jephthah was a tough cookie. He was a toughie. Remember, he was born of a harlot and they yelled and screamed and hollered at him and called him all kinds of names. So he went out and got a gang. He was the leader of the gang. I don't know if he was a shark or a jet, but he was the leader of a gang and he didn't take no guff. He was a tough cookie. So you weren't going to mess with Jephthah the way you got over on Gideon. Gideon was mild manner and that was the way Gideon worked. But Jephthah, that wasn't going to happen. So they came to Jephthah, throwing on him the same trip that they threw on Gideon years earlier. Years earlier. Look at verse 4a. 4a. Now Jephthah gathered together all the men of Gilead and fought against Ephraim. <laughs> I'll show you. I like this guy. I like this guy. They're coming against him with all kinds of complaints, with all kinds of things. And he calls their bluff and said, hey, I'm coming against you. He calls a bluff on the complainer and says, I'm going to teach you a lesson. Basically, Jethro is saying, hey, guys, let's get ready to rumble. We're going to take this to the mat. They're calling them names. Look for B, for B. And the men of Gilead defeated Ephraim because they said, you Gileadites are fugitives of Ephraim among the Ephraimites and among those from Manasseh. You notice I didn't try to say Manassehites. He said, they insult them. They throw insults at them by calling them fugitives. The word fugitive here carries the meaning of a renegade. It carries the meaning of a renegade. But they have a slight problem here. They have a slight problem. Most of you were here when we studied Joshua. Who gave Gad, Reuben, and half of Manasseh on the other side of the river their land? Who gave them their land? The Lord gave it to them. The Lord gave them their land. The Lord told Moses, they asked Moses, Moses went to the Lord and the Lord gave them their land. So may I ask, who were they fighting against? They were fighting against the Lord. They were fighting against the Lord. The Lord had given the land to these tribes through Moses and then to Joshua. So the Ephraimites, these complainers, were not insulted the Gideonites. They weren't taunting them or complaining against them. They were indeed complaining and taunting and tossing insults against the Lord. We already said at the beginning of our, of our study, not a good thing to do. Not a good thing to do, tossing insults against the Lord. It's never a good thing to do. The Ephraimites got what they deserved. 
They got a whooping. They got beat. And they headed home with their tails between their legs, but the battle wasn't over. Something takes place yet. Let's look at 5A. 5A. The Gideonites seized the fjords, fords or fjords of the Jordan before the Ephraimites arrived. The Gideonites met the Ephraimites in the passages of Jordan. And they got there before them. They secured the Jordan. They secured it. They had it there. They had it under wraps and key. It was there. It was theirs. They devised the way that they could tell the difference between the Ephraimites and other people who may be crossing at that time. Let's look at the rest of verse 5. And when any Ephraimite who escaped said, let me cross over, the men of Gilead would say to him, are you an Ephraimite? And if he, and if he said no, then they would say to him, say Shiboleth. And he would say Sibboleth. Then they would take him and kill him at the fords of Jordan. Shibboleth simply means ear of grain or flowing stream. But the word, for some reason, the tribe of Ephraim had a dialect problem. They had some sort of a dialect problem, and they couldn't say the H. So they ended up saying Sibboleth instead of Shibboleth. Well, this was telltale. You think this is far-fetched? I don't think it's far-fetched at all. For years, my mother said C-R-E-E-K, Crick. She didn't say Creek. She, she said the word P-E-C-A-N, Pekin. When I spent years in the South, I would say, excuse me, mother, it's pecan. And look at all the different dialects we have. Look at all the different dialects that we have in our country, let alone foreign languages that have been brought over with their different dialects. Bill was telling me about one in Italian, the different dialects that we have. I mean, I spent years in Texas. I spent years in Texas. And when I wanted a can of Coca-Cola, I said, can I have a pop? If I said soda, I got ice cream. Because if you said soda, you got an ice cream soda. But if I said pop, I got a can of pop. When I went to the grocery store, the very first time I was in Texas, I went to the grocery store and the lady was sitting there ready. She was ready to put my groceries into something. She looked at me and said, would you like me to put that in a sack? I went, uh, no, I was hoping for a bag. She pulled out a paper thing. I went, that's a bag. <laughs> no, she goes, that's a sack. See, dialects, dialects. Interesting thing now, a days, the word shibboleth is part of our language. In fact, on my computer, when I typed in the word shibboleth, Spell check didn't underline it in red as being misspelled because it's a word in our dictionary. It's great. It means any kind of test to give outsiders to see if they really belong. Any kind of test to give outsiders to see if they belong. Oh, come on. Think of one. I'm going to think of one with you. I'm from South Philly. With you. Would you like your cheesesteak with or without? Here's one, World War II. How do I know that guy's a German? How do I know if that guy's a German in an American uniform? Hey, Joe, what do you know? 
Oh, just got back from the vaudeville show. That's how they determined if they were Germans or not. If they couldn't answer that, they thought that they might not be Americans. They might be Germans. They couldn't know because there were German people who would dress up in American uniforms and they would infiltrate the lines. And so they would say, hey, Joe, what do you know? And the they would come back, just got back from the vaudeville show. But anyhow, you get the point here. What did Christians do? Now, there's, there, tradition has it, tradition has it that if you wanted to know if someone was a Christian or not in the first century when it was illegal to be a Christian, tradition has it that in the sand you would draw half a fish. And if the person you were talking to drew the other half of the fish, you would know that you were talking to a Christian. Or another thing, tradition, we don't know if this is true or not, but this is just tradition. Another thing that happened is you would sit down and there would be a loaf of bread. How could I tell if you were a Christian? Break the bread. If you broke the bread, then that was a sign that you were a Christian. This is just all tradition and nothing. We can't make a doctrine out of it or anything like that, but it's just tradition. It says, there fell at the time 42,000 Ephraimites. 42,000 guys couldn't say Shibboleth. They said Sibboleth. And they were killed. 42,000. So verse 7 says, And Jephthah judged Israel six years. Then Jephthah the Gileadite died and was buried among the cities of Gilead. So this other judge now is done. Once again, Israel, you know, they went into the cycle that we've talked about so many times, the big D cycle disobedience, discipline, despair, and delivery. They had to go through the whole cycle again. Well, here we have now in verses 8 through 15, we have three more judges. Three more judges now come on the scene. They're called minor judges simply because we really don't know anything about them except what's written here in Scripture. We have no idea what's about them except what's written here in Scripture. Let's read verses 8 through 15. After him, Ibzan of Bethlehem judged Israel. He had 30 sons, and he gave away 30 daughters in marriage and brought in 30 daughters from elsewhere for his sons. He judged Israel seven years. Then Ibzan died and was buried at Bethlehem. Anyhow, that's what we know about him. He is the 10th judge, by the way. He is the 10th judge to come along. He's from Bethlehem. Let's have Bible quiz. What does Bethlehem mean? The girl, house of bread. Ibsan's name means splendid. His name means splendid. And his claim to fame is he had 30 sons and 30 daughters. He sent the 30 daughters abroad to marry kings. And he took 30 daughters in for his own sons. That's a, I hope he had a good job. That, that's pretty good. He judged Israel for seven years and he's buried in Bethlehem. It says in verse 11, after him, Elon, the Zebulonite, judged Israel. He judged Israel 10 years. And Elon, the Zebulonite, died and was buried at Ajalon. 
in the country of Zebulun. Hmm. Don't know anything about him, but his name means oak. His name means oak. He was from the tribe of Zebulon. It's interesting how all these judges are from different tribes. It's interesting how they all are from different tribes. He judged Israel for 10 years and then he was buried. The 12th judge was a guy named Abdon. His name means servitude. After him, Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Parathonite, judged Israel. He had 40 sons and 30 grandsons who rode on 70 young donkeys. He judged Israel eight years. Once again, he had to be a very, very wealthy man to have that many donkeys. Very, very wealthy man because any type of livestock was a sign of wealth. And you have that many. He was a very, very wealthy man. One commentator made a note that these judges had multiple children, and we know nothing about them, and contrasted them with Jephthah, who was a conquering hero in a nation, but he had no family. No family whatsoever. What I got from this, and what we're learning from the book of Judges, I hope, is it's interesting who God chooses. You can't put any type of criteria. You can't come up with any kind of a list and stuff like that, that God chooses only this person. He chooses only that person. He chooses only this type of person. God chooses whomever God chooses because of his sovereignty. Why did God make Israel his favorite nation? Someone tell me that. Simple. Because he's God. He chose Abraham. Simple. Sovereignty of God. God's sovereignty. Here, God has made choice after choice. As we went through the book of Judges, we see his choice of persons to rise up. The one thing all these men and women, by the way, remember there were several women in here, all these men and women have common. What was it? They were available. They were available. When God called, they answered the call of God. When God called them, they answered the call of God. They didn't say, wait a minute, I got some things to do. Remember in Luke, when Jesus called a couple guys to come and follow me? Wait a minute, I got to, you know, I got to go take care of my dad. I got to go look at some horses that I might buy, or, you know, something like that. I mean, there's a, there's a couple stories about that, you know. No, these guys were available. When God calls, be available. When God called Samuel, I love that story. We're going to get to it now, a little while. God called Samuel. God called him Samuel. He runs in and says, what do you want? And Eli says, what? I didn't call you. He does it three times. And finally, Eli, the priest, realized that it's God calling. He says, the next time that happens, just say, here I am, Lord. And he answered the call. He answered God's call. I think everybody is called to do something. And we can read in that in Ephesians that God has given us works that we're, we're beforehand. He's given us works beforehand. We're, we're, we're going to find out what they are. What are we supposed to do? What are, you, what are we supposed to do? Once we believe in Christ and have Christ in our lives, what are we supposed to do? God has a calling in all our lives. And we're all special in the body of Christ. You may be sitting there and you're special in this body. You mean something to this body of Christ. You mean something to us. 
Your presence alone is invaluable to us. Your love that you show, the love that we, you can receive is invaluable to us. But God has given us all gifts too. He's given us gifts that we can use. And as you sit for a while in a fellowship and you get fed the word of God, you get the urge that God is calling you into something better, something different. We have all sorts of opportunities here to serve him. When God calls you, be available, just like the judges were available. We're to, we're to be available to God as he calls and he selects you because he chooses you for different ministries because we're all part of God's body. Some of us have different parts. He made me a mouth. It was his choice. He made me a mouth. Some he didn't make mouths. Some he gave other talents to. But that doesn't mean they're more, I'm more important than they. Read 1 Corinthians 12, that section where Paul likens the body of Christ to the human body. And now each part is extremely important. And I've challenged you before, but how many of you ever stubbed your big toe? The whole body shuts down. You can't walk. You can't do anything because you stubbed your big toe. Well, it's just a toe. Well, yeah, stub your little toe and see what happens. It's the same thing. You know what I mean? Paul makes a great, great treatise on the human body and the body of Christ. And he compares the two where one shouldn't cry up, hey, I'm a toe, but I want to be a nose. I'm a toe, but I want to be the mouth. You know what I mean? No, no the toe just does what it's supposed to be because it does. it's a toe. That's its job. It's a toe. We all have jobs in the body of Christ. We all fit together in the body of Christ, and it's so important that we're available. As we come to the end of chapter 12, we come to chapter 13, and we're going to begin the last of the judges. The last of the judges. And my person by the name of Samson. And look at verse 1. It's all too familiar. Again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Here we go again. By the way, 40 is always a number of judgment. Samson was the most paradoxical man we're going to meet in the book of Judges. We study him in chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 16. We study him for a couple chapters. We look at him. He was a paradoxical man. Why? Because he was a deliverer for the nation Israel, but he could not deliver himself. He was a conqueror for the nation Israel, but he couldn't conquer his own lust. And he was the strongest man ever, but he didn't know just how weak he really was. You are Pastor Dave Shank will continue his series in the book of Judges next time you join us for A Sure Hope. In the meantime, you can listen to this teaching and others from this series online at assurehoperadio.com. We encourage you to download these messages so that they're available wherever you are. 
We know how busy life can get, but there's always time to pause, even if only for a few minutes. Those short breaks could be filled with the study of God's Word and the uncovering of treasures from its verses. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, gaining access to the latest messages as soon as they're posted. Find out more at assurehoperadio.com. If you're looking for a church family and happen to be in the Cape May area, we'd love for you to come join us for a time of worship and Bible study. Calvary Chapel Cape May will soon be moving to two services, meeting weekly on Sundays at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. Both services offer nursery and Sunday school, where your children will be well cared for as they learn about the love of Jesus. Give us a call for more information. Our number is 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. Thanks for listening to today's message from the book of Judges. We pray you'll continue to be blessed as you study the Word on your own and that you'll discover Jesus working in your life each day. Pastor Dave will be back soon for another in-depth look at this Old Testament book. So join us again right here on A Sure Hope.